Because of Jesus, we who believe in Him have received the gift of hope. We now have the assurance of forgiveness and the promise of an eternal life spent with Him. We have comfort in knowing that our inheritance, which is the completion of salvation, is being kept by God and guarded by Him in heaven. Today, we're going to discover how we're being prepared for eternity. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to back up in verse number 3 and read through verses uh, 3 through 7 this morning. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must keep in mind that all that God plans and performs here in this world is preparation for what's in store for us for eternity. In other words, uh, another way to look at it is uh, current life is preparation for eternal life. Life today is the school in which God trains us for eternity. This explains the presence of trials in our lives because trials are the tools and the text box, textbooks of God's training. And so trials are not a bad thing in and of themselves. Trials are not something that we should uh, avoid or hope to avoid because trials can produce some wonderful things in our lives. And have you ever wondered when, when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, have you ever wondered why God doesn't just go ahead and give that individual a trouble-free, pain-free conflict-free life as a result of their salvation. Sometimes if we're not careful, we might think that this is what God should do. If God really loves us and cares for us, then, then God should prevent terrible times and troubles and trials from happening in our lives. But, but when God allows these trials to happen, or, or the temptations of life to, to fall upon us, Sometimes it, it happens so with such heaviness and sorrow as our text explains. So, so the question becomes, why? Since God doesn't automatically remove those from our lives when we put our faith and trust in Him, then why is it necessary for trials to still exist? Thankfully, the Bible is not silent on that subject. Scripture says that one of the reasons why Trials are necessary is so that our faith can be proven. 
Look at the beginning of verse number 7. It says, so that the proof of your faith, the Greek word that's being translated here and rendered as proof, that Greek word means to prove, to test, or to strengthen. More specifically, it means to, to test for the purpose of approving. In our text, it means to show that our faith is authentic. It's genuine. It's the, it's the real deal. This is the same word that James uses in his letter in James chapter 1 when he says in verses 2 and 3, to consider it all joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. James uses that same word. It's translated as testing, but it's the same Greek word that's being used. And so James is saying that the, the proving of your faith produces endurance. In our text, Peter uses the word trials instead of tribulations or instead of persecutions. I believe he uses the word trials because he's speaking to the general problems that Christians face in this world. And here we can see a few truths about trials that we face. And I want to share those truths with you this morning. Truth number one is that trials meet needs. Trials exist to meet needs. Notice the phrase in verse number six, it says, if necessary. That phrase, if necessary, indicates that there are special times in our lives when God knows that we need to go through certain trials in life. Now, so what possible reason could there be for the need to have to go through a trial? Well, let me give you a few. In fact, I'll give you five. This isn't a complete list. There are others, but let me just give you five examples of why God might allow, if necessary, for you to endure a trial in your life. Example number one would be that sometimes trials discipline us when we've disobeyed God's word or his will. So sometimes God uses trials to discipline us. In Psalm 119, beginning in verse number 65, it says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. Then he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I had to endure that trial, that suffering, that I may learn your statutes, your word, your commands. He says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Here, the psalmist expressed his confidence in God's sovereignty over human affliction, so much so that in verse number 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Sometimes trials occur in our lives in order to bring about discipline that is needed and necessary 
for the individual. So sometimes trials can be used to discipline us. Sometimes trials can be used to prepare us for spiritual growth or or to help to keep uh, a spirit of humility within us. This is the example of the Apostle Paul. He understands this clearly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, and then he says, to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me from being all prideful, to bring about humility in my life, he says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Then he says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes trials exist to discipline us. Sometimes trials help to prepare us for spiritual growth. Sometimes trials help to develop our character. Romans chapter 5 says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How beautiful is that? As we endure hardships and trials, we are being trained to persevere. And as we're being trained to, to persevere, our character is being changed. Our hope and, and that confidence in God is being strengthened in the midst of trial. And, and, and so, three, three so far, already, trials can help to discipline us. Trials can help to prepare us for spiritual growth. Uh, trials can develop our character. Uh, here, here's, a, here's a good one. Uh, trials sometimes exist in order to equip us to help other people. The text that would show this would be 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Like, like you catch that? that? When you're in the midst of a trial, a hardship, a difficult season, and, and, and you're crying out for relief or for, for the comfort of God, may you know that comfort for yourself is not the end in itself. We receive comfort from God so that we can be a vessel of comfort to other people. So in your suffering, in your trials, the comfort you receive from the Lord the wisdom that you gain, the truths that you discover, 
will enable you to minister to someone else who's in a trial or someone else who will soon be entering into that trial. Don't ever let God's comfort stop with you. Allow God's comfort to flow to you and through you so that He can be glorified among you. So so sometimes these trials discipline us. Uh, They prepare us for spiritual growth. They develop our character. They help to equip us to help other people. And then number five, trials can simply be an opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed. They're an opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed or to be made known. John chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 3, says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God providentially allowed this individual to be born blind, to suffer blindness for many, many years. It wasn't a result of any sin that this individual confessed. It it wasn't a result of any sin that his parents had committed. No, this man suffered with blindness so that the works of God might be made known among the people. It was an opportunity for God to reveal His glory and to make His glory known. Your trials can also provide an opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed in and through that trial. Although we don't always know the need that's being met as we're going through, Through a trial, we can trust that God knows the need that's being met and that God will do what is best. What is best for us, what is best for others, and most importantly, what is best for His glory to be made known. So so truth number one is that trials meet needs. Truth number two is that these trials are varied. Trials are varied. Peter uses the word various in verse number 6 and translated from a Greek word that literally means many-colored or multi-colored. It's the same word that Peter will use to describe God's grace in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, in the New American Standard, it, it's translated as manifold. In fact, here it is on the screen. It says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's the same word, manifold, the varied grace of God. The multicolored grace of God. It's not as clear to see it in, in, in this translation, I'll admit, but some other translations rendered that verse somewhat differently, and, and it comes out a little more clearly in those translations. I'll give you two examples. Uh, the English Standard Version uh, renders that verse in First Peter chapter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Same word there, varied grace. 
good stewards of God's multicolored grace. Uh, the NIV, if you have one of those translations, uh, says that each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh, so, like, for me, I, 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 this brings great comfort even excitement into my lives when I realized that, that, that for every multicolored trial that I face, there is a matching multicolored measure of God's grace available to me in the midst of that trial. So no matter what color day you're having, there is a multicolored measure of God's grace that is available to you to, to strengthen, to encourage, to equip to help get you through that difficult season. Trials are varied, and God matches those trials in our lives. Sometimes he matches those trials to our strengths, sometimes to our weaknesses, and sometimes to our needs. But God always matches those trials in accordance to his plan, his purpose, and his grace, which leads us to the third truth, about trials, and that is that trials are controlled by God. Go back to verse number 7. Verse 7 says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that trials do not last forever. Although it might feel that way when you're in the midst of the trial. Trials are for but a a season in life. It's important that we learn the lesson that God wants to teach us so that we can get all of the blessings and the benefits of that trials as we are living in and through it. And I hard for me to think about trials and how we're to respond or how God works in trials without thinking about the life of Job, without going into all the details and breaking down the entire book of Job. Let me just quickly just just highlight the reality that Job endured many painful trials, many painful trials in a relatively short amount of time. And all of those trials that Job went through, he went through those trials with the approval of God. God's approval over those trials being introduced into his life. And Job understood some of the same language that Peter uses. Job understood the truth of the refiner's fire. Job says in Job chapter 23, verse number 10, but he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I wonder if we might be able to to make that same proclamation in life. That, That when the trial is done, that I too will come forth as gold. Think about how how awesome it is to know. Uh, talk about like last week, we, we realized that we have been born for glory. And, and, and when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we exchange, we, we exchange the, the passing glory of man. And, and we exchange that with the eternal glory of God. So, so we've been born for glory and we're being kept 
for glory. These are the truths that we discovered in verses 3 through 5. Now in verses 6 and 7, we, we begin to see how we're being prepared for glory. Next week, when we get to verses 8 through 12, we're going to discover how we can remain joyful in the midst of the trial that we're in. And so the gift of hope results in, in the present joy in our lives. And so just real briefly this morning, look at verse number 6. Because verse number 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. So, so rejoice means to be exceedingly glad. To be exuberantly jubilant. It, it means to be giddy, right? It, it's like rejoice, be exceedingly glad. Now this kind of joy is not something that is based upon our ever-changing circumstances. This kind of joy is based on the unchanging, eternal relationship that we have through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. That's the kind of joy. And so when he says, in this you greatly rejoice, well, what is he talking about? What is the in this referring to? I believe that the in this refers to the truths that he mentioned from verses 3 through 5. And so Peter is trying to encourage us that we need to put knowledge into practice. We need to act upon that which we know. Knowledge alone, knowledge in and of itself, cannot produce a freedom from fear in the face of our trials. God's omnipotent sovereignty needs to be coupled with human responsibility. Let me put it this way. As believers, we are responsible, in the midst of our trials, we are responsible to respond in faith. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts upon the content of its theology. Think about it. Faith acts upon the content of its theology. Not only does it act upon the content of its theology, faith produces conduct that corresponds to the content of its theology. Does that make sense? Right? So faith acts upon the content, and not only that, faith helps to produce the, the character or the conduct that corresponds to the context of the thought, theology that we embrace, that we practice. Faith puts the Word of God in action in and through our lives. And faith, when we're responding to the Word of God, helps to develop our character so we look as though God's Word says that we're supposed to look. We do the things that God's Word tells us that we're supposed to do. We avoid the things that God's Word tells us that we should avoid. We, we begin to develop this Christ-like character in our lives. Which is to say, in all of this, that our trying experiences today are preparing us for glory tomorrow. And the important thing to understand is that that, that glory is not going to be fully known or, or fully expressed until Jesus Christ returns. And when we see Jesus, we will bring praise and honor and glory to Him if we have been faithful in the sufferings of this life. If we've been faithful through the trials in which God 
has sovereignly allowed us to experience. Romans chapter 8 says it like this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I mean, this would explain why Peter would associate rejoicing with suffering. While we might not be able to rejoice as we look around in our trials, we most certainly can rejoice if we'll look ahead beyond those trials. So just as an assayer would would test gold to see if it's pure or if it's counterfeit, the trials of life test our faith, seeking to prove the authenticity of our faith. It has accurately been said that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Too many professing believers have a false faith. And their false faith will be revealed when the trials of life fall upon them. I'll close with the final passage. You know, go back to James chapter 1. I quickly made mention of verses 2 and 3, but going back to James chapter 1, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, how trials are necessary and needed in our lives. The reality is, if we value comfort over character, then trials will not be an opportunity for joy in our lives. If we value material things or the physical things of this world more than we value spiritual matters, then when trials come, we're not going to consider it joy. If we live only for the here and now rather than living for eternity, then the trials will tend to make us bitter and not make us any better. We've got to have a proper mindset when it comes to trials and what they mean in our lives. Trials become opportunities for joy when we realize that they are under the authority and the sovereign control of God. Not only that, they, they, they seek to accomplish His purpose in our lives. And we only talked about five of them. And so like, if, if, if you're in the midst of a trial today, and you're here with, with this heaviness and this sorrow and this weight because of what it is that you're undergoing in your life right now, I would beg you to consider, could this trial be a result of one of the five things that we've already talked about? Is God trying to discipline you? I don't have the answer. You need to pray to discover that. Is he trying to discipline you? Is he preparing you for spiritual growth? 
is that trial, is the purpose of that trial to help to develop your character? You might be going through the trial for the sole purpose that 20 years from now, God's going to use the trial that you went through today so that you can help equip somebody else in the midst of their trial. It's not always about us. It's for other people. And more, and most importantly, it's for the glory of God to be made known and displayed. So your trial might be just there for the opportunity for your faithfulness to display the glory of God in the midst of your hardship. Oh, may you know that our trying experiences today are preparing us for glory tomorrow. Whatever it is that we're going through, no matter how heavy, how serious, how difficult it is, it pales in comparison to what awaits those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So for the believer today, have a proper understanding of your trials and seek to glorify God in the midst of it. For those that are experiencing hardships, but you're separated because you have no faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You haven't bent your knee in submission to the will of God. My encouragement to you is to understand that your life, as miserable as it might be in this moment, it's as good as it'll ever be compared to eternity for what awaits you when you're forever separated from God. Use this opportunity to allow it to draw you closer to the Father. Seize the moment, asking the Holy Spirit to guide you, that you would submit and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given to mankind, a gift that is available to you if you will submit your life to Him Put your faith in Him. Commit to live for His glory. Let's pray, Father. Father, thank You for today. For Your church. And as difficult as it might seem, God, I I thank You for the trials of life. Help us to develop a proper understanding for the existence of trials. And God, help us to never be stuck in the midst of the trial by only focusing on the trial without ever looking beyond that trial to see what it is that you're trying to work and develop in our lives. Undoubtedly, Father, there are people here, there are people listening, there are people watching that are experiencing great difficulties. Father, I pray that you're your presence would be made known in their lives, that your spirit would give them strength. We thank you for the promise that your eyes search to and fro over the whole world, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed unto you. Father, may each and every one of us be fully committed to you. But even now I know that's not the reality for some of us here. Some of us are are, are trying to do this on our own strength and our own power. Father, if it be your will, I ask that your spirit would bring salvation unto all of us. 
May we confess our sins. May we repent from those sins and may we make fresh commitments to live life for you. Help us now. Make known to each and every one of us decisions that need to be made. As you make known to that, may we put action behind that knowledge, Father. May we respond in faith so that you receive the glory that you're due. We love you, Father. Praise you. In the midst of all the suffering, in the midst of all the the frustration and the brokenness and the desperation of not just this building and this community, but our state and our nation, Father. God, I pray that the church would wake up. And we stop being silent. And we take a stand for you and for your word and that we would live lives boldly that reflect who we're supposed to be and who we were created to be. Help us, Father. May you be pleased during this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.